Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen's timeless tale of the Dashwood sisters set in Regency-era England. This is the 12th title in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. If this is your first time with us, you can find all the other novels in our series, plus new episodes, at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads Sense and Sensibility. Chapter 34 Mrs. John Dashwood had so much confidence in her husband's judgment that she waited the very next day both on Mrs. Jennings and her daughter, and her confidence was rewarded by finding even the former, even the woman with whom her sisters were staying, by no means unworthy her notice. And as for Lady Middleton, she found her one of the most charming women in the world— Lady Middleton was equally pleased with Mrs. Dashwood. There was a kind of cold-hearted selfishness on both sides, which mutually attracted them, and they sympathized with each other in an insipid propriety of demeanor and a general want of understanding. The same manners, however, which recommended Mrs. John Dashwood to the good opinion of Lady Middleton, did not suit the fancy of Mrs. Jennings, and to her... She appeared nothing more than a little proud-looking woman of uncordial address, who met her husband's sisters without any affection, and almost without having anything to say to them. For of the quarter of an hour bestowed on Barclay Street, she sat at least seven minutes and a half in silence. Eleanor wanted very much to know, though she did not choose to ask, whether Edward was then in town. But nothing would have induced Fanny voluntarily to mention his name before her, till able to tell her that his marriage with Miss Morton was resolved on, or till her husband's expectations on Colonel Brandon were answered, because she believed them still so very much attached to each other, that they could not be too sedulously divided in word and deed on every occasion. The intelligence, however— which she would not give, soon flowed from another quarter. Lucy came very shortly to claim Eleanor's compassion on being unable to see Edward, though he had arrived in town with Mr. and Mrs. Dashwood. He dared not come to Bartlett's buildings for fear of detection, and though their mutual impatience to meet was not to be told, they could do nothing at present but write. Edward assured them himself of his being in town within a very short time by twice calling in Barclay Street. Twice was his card found on the table when they returned from their morning's engagements. Eleanor was pleased that he had called, and still more pleased that she had missed him. The Dashwoods were so prodigiously delighted with the Middletons that, though not much in the habit of giving anything, they determined to give them a dinner and soon after their acquaintance began, invited them to dine in Harley Street, where they had taken a very good house for three months. 
Their sisters and Mrs. Jennings were invited likewise, and John Dashwood was careful to secure Colonel Brandon, who, always glad to be where the Miss Dashwoods were, received his eager civilities with some surprise, but much more pleasure. They were to meet Mrs. Ferrars, but Eleanor could not learn whether her sons were to be of the party. The expectation of seeing her, however, was enough to make her interested in the engagement, for though she could now meet Edward's mother without that strong anxiety which had once promised to attend such an introduction, though she could now see her with perfect indifference as to her opinion of herself, her desire of being in company with Mrs. Ferrars, her curiosity to know what she was like, was as lively as ever. The interest with which she thus anticipated the party was soon afterwards increased, more powerfully than pleasantly, by her hearing that the Miss Steeles were also to be at it. So well had they recommended themselves to Lady Middleton, so agreeable had their assiduities made them to her, that though Lucy was certainly not so elegant and her sister not even genteel, she was as ready as Sir John to ask them to spend a week or two in Conduit Street, and it happened to be particularly convenient to the Miss Steeles, as soon as the Dashwoods' invitation was known, that their visit should begin a few days before the party took place. Their claims to the notice of Mrs. John Dashwood, as the nieces of the gentleman who for many years had had the care of her brother, might not have done much, however, towards procuring them seats at her table. But as Lady Middleton's guests, they must be welcome. And Lucy, who had long wanted to be personally known to the family— to have a nearer view of their characters and her own difficulties, and to have an opportunity of endeavouring to please them, had seldom been happier in her life than she was on receiving Mrs. John Dashwood's card. On Eleanor, its effect was very different. She began immediately to determine that Edward, who lived with his mother, must be asked, as his mother was, to a party given by his sister, and to see him for the first time, after all that passed, in the company of Lucy. She hardly knew how she could bear it. These apprehensions, perhaps, were not founded entirely on reason, and certainly not at all on truth. They were relieved, however, not by her own recollection, but by the good will of Lucy who believed herself to be inflicting a severe disappointment when she told her that Edward certainly would not be in Hardy Street on Tuesday, and even hoped to be carrying the pain still farther by persuading her that he was kept away by the extreme affection for herself, which he could not conceal when they were together. The important Tuesday came that was to introduce the two young ladies to this formidable mother-in-law. "'Pity me, dear Miss Dashwood,' said Lucy, as they walked up the stairs together, for the Middletons arrived so directly after Mrs. Jennings that they all followed the servant at the same time. "'There is nobody here but you that can feel for me. I declare I can hardly stand. Oh, good gracious!' In a moment I shall see the person that all my happiness depends on, that is to be my mother. 
Eleanor could have given her immediate relief by suggesting the possibility of its being Miss Morton's mother, rather than her own, whom they were about to behold. But instead of doing that, she assured her, and with great sincerity, that she did pity her to the utter amazement of Lucy, who, though really uncomfortable herself, hoped at least to be an object of irrepressible envy to Eleanor. Mrs. Ferrars was a little thin woman, upright even to formality in her figure, and serious even to sourness in her aspect. Her complexion was sallow, and her features small, without beauty, and naturally without expression. But a lucky contraction of the brow had rescued her countenance from the disgrace of insipidity, by giving it the strong characters of pride and ill-nature. She was not a woman of many words, for, unlike people in general, she proportioned them to the number of her ideas, and of the few syllables that did escape her, not one fell to the share of Miss Dashwood whom she eyed with the spirited determination of disliking her at all events. Eleanor could not now be made unhappy by this behavior. A few months ago it would have hurt her exceedingly, but it was not in Mrs. Ferrars' power to distress her by it now. And the difference of her manners to the Miss Steeles, a difference which seemed purposely made to humble her more, only amused her. She could not but smile to see the graciousness of both mother and daughter towards the very person, for Lucy was particularly distinguished, whom of all others, had they known as much as she did, they would have been most anxious to mortify. While she herself, who had comparatively no power to wound them, sat pointedly slighted by both. But while she smiled at a graciousness so misapplied, she could not reflect on the mean-spirited folly from which it sprung, nor observe the studied attentions with which the Miss Steeles courted its continuance without thoroughly despising them all four. Lucy was all exultation on being so honorably distinguished and Miss Steele wanted only to be teased about Dr. Davies to be perfectly happy. The dinner was a grand one. The servants were numerous, and everything bespoke the mistress's inclination for show and the master's ability to support it. In spite of the improvements and additions which were making to the Norland estate, and in spite of its owner having once been within some thousand pounds of being obliged to sell out at a loss, nothing gave any symptom of that indigence which he had tried to infer from it. No poverty of any kind, except of conversation, appeared. But there the deficiency was considerable. John Dashwood had not much to say for himself that was worth hearing and his wife had still less. But there was no peculiar disgrace in this, for it was very much the case with the chief of their visitors, who almost all labored under one or other of these disqualifications for being agreeable. Want of sense, either natural or improved, want of elegance, want of spirits, or want of temper. When the ladies withdrew to the drawing-room after dinner, this poverty was particularly evident, 
for the gentleman had supplied the discourse with some variety, the variety of politics, enclosing land, and breaking horses. But then it was all over, and one subject only engaged the ladies till coffee came in, which was the comparative heights of Harry Dashwood and Lady Middleton's second son William, who were nearly of the same age. Had both the children been there, the affair might have been determined too easily by measuring them at once. But as Harry only was present, it was all conjectural assertion on both sides, and everybody had a right to be equally positive in their opinion, and to repeat it over and over again as often as they liked. The parties stood thus. The two mothers— though each really convinced that her own son was the tallest, politely decided in favor of the other. The two grandmothers, with not less partiality, but more sincerity, were equally earnest in support of their own descendant. Lucy, who was hardly less anxious to please one parent than the other, thought the boys were both remarkably tall for their age, and could not conceive that there could be the smallest difference in the world between them, and Miss Steele, with yet greater address, gave it, as fast as she could, in favor of each. Eleanor, having once delivered her opinion on William's side— by which she offended Mrs. Ferrars and Fanny still more, did not see the necessity of enforcing it by any farther assertion. And Marianne, when called on for hers, offended them all by declaring that she had no opinion to give as she had never thought about it. Before her removing from Norland, Eleanor had painted a very pretty pair of screens for her sister-in-law, which being now just mounted and brought home, ornamented her present drawing-room, and these screens, catching the eye of John Dashwood on his following the other gentleman into the room, were officiously handed by him to Colonel Brandon for his admiration. "'These are done by my elder sister,' said he. "'And you, as a man of taste, will, I dare say, be pleased with him. "'I do not know whether you have ever happened to see any of her performances before, "'but she is in general reckoned to draw extremely well.' "'The colonel, though disclaiming all pretensions to connoisseurship, "'warmly admired the screens as he would have done anything painted by Miss Dashwood, "'and on the curiosity of the others being, of course, excited, "'they were handed round for general inspection. "'Mrs. Ferrars, not aware of their being Eleanor's work, "'particularly requested to look at them, "'and after they had received gratifying testimony "'of Lady Middleton's approbation, "'Fanny presented them to her mother, "'considerately informing her at the same time "'that they were done by Miss Dashwood. Oh, said Mrs. Ferrars, "'very pretty, and without regarding them at all, "'returned them to her daughter.' Perhaps Fanny thought for a moment that her mother had been quite rude enough, for, colouring a little, she immediately said, "'They are very pretty, ma'am, aren't they?' But then again, the dread of having been too civil, too encouraging herself, probably came over her, for she presently added, "'Do you not think they are something in Miss Morton's style of painting, ma'am?' "'She does paint most delightfully. How beautifully her last landscape is done!' "'Beautifully, indeed. But she does everything well,' 
Marianne could not bear this. She was already greatly displeased with Mrs. Ferrars, and such ill-timed praise of another at Eleanor's expense, though she had not any notion of what was principally meant by it, provoked her immediately to say with warmth, "'This is admiration of a very particular kind. What is Miss Morton to us? Who knows or who cares for her? It is Eleanor of whom we think and speak.' And so saying, she took the screens out of her sister-in-law's hands to admire them herself as they ought to be admired. Mrs. Ferrars looked exceedingly angry, and drawing herself up more stiffly than ever, pronounced in retort this bitter philippic, "'Miss Morton is Lord Morton's daughter.' Fanny looked very angry, too and her husband was all in a fright at his sister's audacity. Eleanor was much more hurt by Marianne's warmth than she had been by what produced it. But Colonel Brandon's eyes, as they were fixed on Marianne, declared that he noticed only what was amiable in it, the affectionate heart which could not bear to see a sister slighted in the smallest point. Marianne's feelings did not stop here. The cold insolence of Mrs. Ferrar's general behavior to her sister seemed to her to foretell such difficulties and distresses to Eleanor as her own wounded heart taught her to think of with horror, and urged by a strong impulse of affectionate sensibility, she moved, after a moment, to her sister's chair, and putting one arm round her neck and one cheek close to hers, said, in a low but eager voice, Dear, dear Eleanor, don't mind them. Don't let them make you unhappy. She could say no more. Her spirits were quite overcome, and hiding her face on Eleanor's shoulder, she burst into tears. Everybody's attention was called, and almost everybody was concerned. Colonel Brandon rose up and went to them without knowing what he did. Mrs. Jennings, with a very intelligent, "'Oh, poor dear!' immediately gave her her salts, and Sir John felt so desperately enraged against the author of this nervous distress that he instantly changed his seat to one close by Lucy Steele and gave her, in a whisper, a brief account of the whole shocking affair. In a few minutes, however, Marianne was recovered enough to put an end to the bustle and sat down among the rest, though her spirits retained the impression of what had passed the whole evening. "'Poor Marianne,' said her brother to Colonel Brandon in a low voice, as soon as he could secure his attention, "'she has not such good health as her sister. She is very nervous. She has not Eleanor's constitution, and one must allow that there is something very trying to a young woman who has been a beauty in the loss of her personal attractions. You would not think it, perhaps, but Marianne was remarkably handsome a few months ago, quite as handsome as Eleanor. Now, you see, it is all gone. Chapter 35 Eleanor's curiosity to see Mrs. Ferrars was satisfied— she had found in her everything that could tend to make a farther connection between the families undesirable. 
She had seen enough of her pride, her meanness, and her determined prejudice against herself to comprehend all the difficulties that must have perplexed the engagement and retarded the marriage of Edward and herself had he been otherwise free. And she had seen almost enough to be thankful for her own sake that one greater obstacle preserved her from suffering under any other of Mrs. Ferrar's creation, preserved her from all dependence upon her caprice or any solicitude for her good opinion. Or at least, if she did not bring herself quite to rejoice in Edward's being fettered to Lucy, she determined that had Lucy been more amiable, she ought to have rejoiced. She wondered that Lucy's spirits could be so very much elevated by the civility of Mrs. Ferraz, that her interest and her vanity should so very much blind her as to make the attention which seemed only paid her because she was not Eleanor appear a compliment to herself, or to allow her to derive encouragement from a preference only given her, because her real situation was unknown. But that it was so had not only been declared by Lucy's eyes at the time, but was declared over again the next morning more openly, for at her particular desire Lady Middleton set her down in Berkeley Street on the chance of seeing Eleanor alone to tell her how happy she was. The chance proved a lucky one, for a message from Mrs. Palmer soon after she arrived carried Mrs. Jennings away. "'My dear friend,' cried Lucy, as soon as they were by themselves. I come to talk to you of my happiness. Could anything be so flattering as Mrs. Ferrar's way of treating me yesterday? So exceedingly affable as she was. You know how I dreaded the thoughts of seeing her. But the very moment I was introduced, there was such an affability in her behavior as really should seem to say she had quite took a fancy to me. Now, was it not so? You saw it all, and was not you quite struck with it? She was certainly very civil to you. Civil? Did you see nothing but only civility? Oh, I saw a vast deal more. Such kindness as fell to the share of nobody but me. No pride, no auteur, and your sister, just the same, all sweetness and affability. Eleanor wished to talk of something else, but Lucy still pressed her to own that she had reason for her happiness, and Eleanor was obliged to go on. Undoubtedly, if they had known your engagement, said she, nothing could be more flattering than their treatment of you. But as that was not the case, I guessed you would say so, replied Lucy quickly. But there was no reason in the world why Mrs. Farage should seem to like me, if she did not. And her liking me is everything. You shan't talk me out of my satisfaction. I am sure it will all end well, and there will be no difficulties at all to what I used to think. Mrs. Farage is a charming woman, and so is your sister. They are both delightful women, indeed. I wonder I should never hear you say how agreeable Mrs. Dashwood was. To this, Eleanor had no answer to make, and did not attempt any. Are you ill, Miss Dashwood? You seem, you seem low. You, you don't, you don't speak. Sure you ain't well? 
I was never in better health. Oh, I'm so glad if it was all my heart. But really, you did not look it. I should be sorry to have you ill. You that have been the greatest comfort to me in the world. Heaven knows what I should have done without your friendship. Eleanor tried to make a civil answer, though doubting her own success, but it seemed to satisfy Lucy, for she directly replied, Indeed, I am perfectly convinced of your regard for me, and next to Edward's love, it is the greatest comfort I have. Oh, poor Edward. But no, there is one good thing we shall be able to meet, and meet pretty often, for Lady Middleton's delighted with Mrs. Dashwood. So we shall be a good deal in Harley Street, I dare say, and Edward spends half his time with his sister. Besides, Lady Middleton and Mrs. Ferrars will visit now, and Mrs. Ferrars and your sister were both so good to say more than once they should always be glad to see me. Oh, they are such charming women. I am sure if ever you tell your sister what I think of her, you cannot speak too high. But Eleanor would not give her any encouragement to hope that she should tell her sister. Lucy continued, I am sure I should have seen it in a moment if Mrs. Ferrars had took a dislike to me. If she had only made me a formal courtesy, for instance, without saying a word, and never after had took any notice of me, and never looked at me in a pleasant way, well, well you know what I mean, if I had been treated in that forbidding sort of way, I should have gave it all up in despair. I know I could not have stood it. But... For where she does dislike, I know it is most violent. Eleanor was prevented from making any reply to this civil triumph by the doors being thrown open, the servants announcing Mr. Ferrars, and Edwards immediately walking in. It was a very awkward moment, and the countenance of each showed that it was so. They all looked exceedingly foolish, and Edward seemed to have as great an inclination to walk out of the room again as to advance farther into it. The very circumstance, in its unpleasantest form, which they would each have been most anxious to avoid, had fallen on them. They were not only all three together, but were together without the relief of any other person." The ladies recovered themselves first. It was not Lucy's business to put herself forward, and the appearance of secrecy must still be kept up. She could therefore only look her tenderness, and after slightly addressing him, said no more. But Eleanor had more to do, and so anxious was she for his sake and her own to do it well, that she forced herself, after a moment's recollection, to welcome him with a look and manner that were almost easy and almost open, and another struggle, another effort still improved them. She would not allow the presence of Lucy, nor the consciousness of some injustice towards herself, to deter her from saying that she was happy to see him, and that she had very much regretted being from home when he called before in Barclay Street— she would not be frightened from paying him those attentions which, as a friend and almost a relation, were his due by the observant eyes of Lucy, though she soon perceived them to be narrowly watching her. 
Her manners gave some reassurance to Edward, and he had courage enough to sit down. But his embarrassment still exceeded that of the ladies in a proportion which the case rendered reasonable, though his sex might make it rare, for his heart had not the indifference of Lucy's, nor could his conscience have quite the ease of Eleanor's. Lucy, with a demure and settled air, seemed determined to make no contribution to the comfort of the others, and would not say a word. And almost everything that was said proceeded from Eleanor, who was obliged to volunteer all the information about her mother's health, their coming to town, etc., etc., which Edward ought to have inquired about, but never did. Her exertions did not stop here for she soon afterwards felt herself so heroically disposed as to determine, under pretense of fetching Marianne, to leave the others by themselves, and she really did it, and that in the handsomest manner, for she loitered away several minutes on the landing-place, with the most high-minded fortitude, before she went to her sister. When that was once done, however, it was time for the raptures of Edward to cease, for Marianne's joy hurried her into the drawing-room immediately. Her pleasure in seeing him was like every other of her feelings, strong in itself and strongly spoken. She met him with a hand that would be taken, and a voice that expressed the affection of a sister. "'Dear Edward,' she cried, "'this is a moment of great happiness. This would almost make amends for everything.' Edward tried to return her kindness as it deserved, but before such witnesses he dared not say half what he really felt. Again they all sat down, and for a moment or two all were silent, while Marianne was looking with the most speaking tenderness, sometimes at Edward and sometimes at Eleanor, regretting only that their delight in each other should be checked by Lucy's unwelcome presence. Edward was the first to speak, and it was to notice Marianne's altered looks and express his fear of her not finding London agree with her. "'Oh, don't think of me,' she replied with spirited earnestness, though her eyes were filled with tears as she spoke. "'Don't think of my health. Eleanor is well, you see, and that must be enough for us both.' This remark was not calculated to make Edward or Eleanor more easy, nor to conciliate the goodwill of Lucy, who looked up at Marianne with no very benignant expression. "'Do you like London?' said Edward, willing to say anything that might introduce another subject. Oh, "'Not at all. I expected much pleasure in it, but I have found none.' "'The very sight of you, Edward, is the only comfort it has afforded, "'and thank heaven you are what you always were.' "'She paused. No one spoke. "'I think, Eleanor,' she presently added, "'we must employ Edward to take care of us in our return to Barton. "'In a week or two, I suppose, we shall be going, "'and I trust Edward will not be very unwilling to accept the charge.' Poor Edward muttered something, but what it was nobody knew, not even himself. But Marianne, who saw his agitation and could easily trace it to whatever cause best pleased herself, was perfectly satisfied and soon talked of something else. 
We spent such a day, Edward, in Harley Street yesterday. So dull, so wretchedly dull. But I have much to say to you on that head, which cannot be said now. And with this admirable discretion did she defer the assurance of her finding their mutual relatives more disagreeable than ever, and of her being particularly disgusted with his mother, till they were more in private. But why were you not there, Edward? Why did you not come? I was engaged elsewhere. Engaged? But what was that when such friends were to be met? Uh, perhaps, Miss Marianne cried Lucy, eager to take some revenge on her. You think young men never stand upon engagements if they have no mind to keep them, little as well as great. Eleanor was very angry, but Marianne seemed entirely insensible of the thing, for she calmly replied, No, not so indeed, for seriously speaking, I am very sure that conscience only kept Edward from Harley Street, and I really believe he has the most delicate conscience in the world, the most scrupulous in performing every engagement, however minute, and however it may make against his interest or pleasure. He is the most fearful of giving pain, of wounding expectation, and the most incapable of being selfish of anybody I ever saw. Edward, it is so, and I will say it. What? Are you never to hear yourself praised? Then you must be no friend of mine, for those who will accept of my love and esteem must submit to my open commendation. The nature of her commendation in the present case, however, happened to be particularly ill-suited to the feelings of two-thirds of her auditors, and was so very unexhilarating to Edward that he very soon got up to go away. "'Going so soon?' said Marianne. "'My dear Edward, this must not be!' And drawing him a little aside, she whispered her persuasion that Lucy could not stay much longer. But even this encouragement failed, for he would go. And Lucy, who would have outstayed him had his visit lasted two hours, soon afterwards went away. "'What can bring her here so often?' said Marianne, on her leaving then. "'Could not she see that we wanted her gone? How teasing to Edward!' "'Why so?' We were all his friends, and Lucy had been the longest known to him of any. It is but natural that he should like to see her as well as ourselves. Marianne looked at her steadily and said, You know, Eleanor, that is a kind of talking which I cannot bear. If you only hope to have your assertion contradicted, as I must suppose to be the case, you ought to recollect that I am the last person in the world to do it. I cannot descend to be tricked out of assurances that are not really wanted. She then left the room, and Eleanor dared not follow her to say more, for, bound as she was by her promise of secrecy to Lucy, she could give no information that would convince Marianne, and painful as the consequence of her still continuing in an error might be, she was obliged to submit to it. All that she could hope, was that Edward would not often expose her or himself to the distress of hearing Marianne's mistaken warmth, nor to the repetition of any other part of the pain that had attended their recent meeting. And this she had every reason to expect. Thank you for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility. 
This episode was produced by Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. This is the latest book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Other selections include Pride and Prejudice, Sunshine Sketches of a Little Town, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Vanity Fair, Showboat, Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, and The Woman in White. You can help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.